Live from the Merck Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app and listen to us live anywhere in the world but only by downloading the app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure. Should you miss us any day in real time, but I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you finally to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at the Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, American Carnage, Shattering the Myths that Fuel Gun Violence. A conversation with Fred Guttenberg, father of Jamie Guttenberg, who was gunned down Uh, In the 2018 Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida, just outside of Miami, Fred Guttenberg is now a nationally recognized anti-gun violence advocate who speaks with an unparalleled passion and urgency about gun culture in America. And if losing his daughter to gun violence wasn't bad enough, check this out, he also lost his brother in the 9-11 attacks, two distinct American tragedies One man, uh, you don't want to miss Fred Guttenberg in hour two. I promise you, it'll be a powerful conversation. In our third hour. We don't need no more of that guitar picking sitting around the shack music today, CJ. I want all you men out of those baseball uniforms and into work clothes. You report to me at uh, $1,600. We got a work detail. Paint in the lobby of the officers club. Why can't those officers paint their own club? Oh, hell no, Smalls. Let the great colored cleanup company do it. Our motto is anything you don't want to do, the colored troops will do for you. (laughs) Anything you don't want to do, the colored troops will do for you. Anything you don't want to do, the colored troops will do for you. Anything you don't want to do, the colored troops will do for you. That's enough. Let me tell all you fancy-ass ball-playing Negroes something. The reasons for any orders given by a superior officer is none of y'all's business. You obey them. This country is at war, and you niggas are soldiers. Nothing else. And something else. From now on, when I tell you to do something, I want it done. Is that clear? Yes, sir! Now get out of those baseball uniforms. I could smell you suckers before I hit the door. And what kind of colored man are you? I'm a soldier, Peterson. And the kind of colored man that don't like lazy, shiftless Negroes. Well, sir, you ain't got to come in here calling us names. The Nazis called you Schwarzer. You gonna complain to Hitler they hurt your little feelings? It don't look like to me we could do too much to them Nazi with paintbrushes, sir. <laughs> you trying to mock me, CJ? No, sir, sir. Good. 
Because whatever an ignorant, low-class Geechee like you has to say ain't worth paying attention to. Is it? <laughs> Is it? I reckon not, sir. You a creep, Waters. Sir, just joking, Pete. He don't mean no harm. No, he does. I mean, we're taking her from them white boys. Yes, you do. And if it wasn't for you southern niggas, white folks wouldn't think we was all fools. Well, where are you from? England? Okay. Looks like we got us a wise-ass Alabama boy here. <laughs> yes, sir. Now, don't you get smart, nigga. Show hands off me. You want to hit old Sergeant Waters, boy? Come on. Please. Powerful. Powerful. Powerful scene from the movie A Soldier's Story. We all saw the film A Soldier's Story with an all-star cast that included, among others, Adolph Caesar, Denzel Washington, Howard Rollins, David Allen Greer, Art Evans, and Robert Townsend. But the acclaimed stage production A Soldier's Play is presently here in Los Angeles at the Amundsen Theater. We will talk with two of the actors, Norm Lewis and Eugene Lee. Uh, Eugene Lee was in the original. Uh, and the director of that production, our friend Tony Winner, Obi Award winner, Kenny Leon. They will all join us live in studio today in Hour 3. But we begin today's program talking politics with our regular contributor, Ruben Navarrete Jr., uh, who will join us live when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Back to this program, our regular contributor, the most uh, read Latino columnist in the nation, Ruben Navarrete Jr., courtesy of his Washington Post um, syndicated piece and host of the very popular podcast, Ruben in the Center. Ruben, good to have you back, my friend. How are you, sir? Brother Travis, great to be back with you. Man, good to have you on. Good to hear your voice. Uh, a lot to talk about in in, in this uh, in this hour. Let me let me start with the big news of the day. Um, so later on today, uh, specifically at six o'clock uh, Eastern time, that's three o'clock here on the West Coast. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, who we uh, always seem to be talking about, given his antics, uh, will announce that he uh, officially is running for president uh, on the GOP ticket. Of course, during a conversation with Twitter CEO Elon Musk. Uh, Musk and DeSantis will host an event this evening on Twitter Spaces, which is the, the site's platform for audio chats. Uh, I have a lot I want to talk about with regard to this. I don't need to color it much more than that, but it uh, it ought to scare people <laughs> that that Ron DeSantis is running, number one, but that he's announcing in a conversation with Elon Musk, um, the gang that couldn't shoot straight, but I digress. Your thoughts about DeSantis entering this uh, growing Republican primary field? So, you know, we've been thinking about this and planning for this for a, almost a year now, people knowing that Ron DeSantis was interested in this job. Uh, he's got a great resume that includes a stint in Congress and uh, the chief executive of a big state, Florida, no longer a battleground state, more red than, than purple these days, but an important state nonetheless. And he's got some strong conservative credentials that I think um, have really excited some elements of the GOP base. But he also now, we know, has eye abilities. His fight most recently with Disney 
is going to pay uh, dividends, I think, for Democrats because it's giving pause to corporate uh, Republicans who feel like if uh, DeSantis can do this to a, a corporation, try to restrain their their right to free speech, uh, he can do it to anybody and their corporations as well. So he's a complicated guy. He's got a complicated candidacy. Uh, he's seen, I guess, to many folks as the uh, number two choice to Trump. So it's significant that he's in. I can't wait to see where the race goes from here. No, um, you mentioned the Disney issue, and that's uh, that is significant. Where I thought you was going to you were going to go, we will go there now. Uh, is beyond Disney. Um, he has offended so many people with his attack on uh, on on what uh, what they call woke culture. Uh, his banning of books. His doing away with African American AP courses in the state. I mean, I, I'm not suggesting that uh, people should vote uh, just because he seems not to care for black people or people of color writ large. Um, but it's telling. Uh, it's telling that he called Daniel uh, uh, Penny, uh, the white guy who choked the brother Jordan Neely to death on that subway train in New York. Uh, Ron DeSantis called him a good Samaritan and encouraged, has encouraged repeatedly all of his supporters uh, to donate money to the legal defense fund of this white guy that choked this innocent, harmless, uh, not causing uh, a threat to anyone, black man, Jordan Neely, in this subway in, in, in New York. Um, there's a long list of, uh, of grievances, legitimate grievances that one could have, one does in fact have, against Ron DeSantis. The NAACP, as you know, just the other day uh, issued a travel advisory telling black folk, do not travel to Florida uh, it is a state that does not welcome you, a state that does not value your life. I mean, I could go on and on and on if I had the time here. So Disney is one issue, but there's a much larger issue that speaks to, and the Disney issue as well speaks to this, the coming culture, uh, culture wars. This is going to be uh, a, a culture war campaign. And even before you get to whoever the Republican nominee is going to be, and at the moment Trump is still the presumptive nominee, we'll come to that in a second, Ruben. Even before you get to that, though, there's going to be a culture war fight inside of the GOP. What say you? Absolutely. You know, for a lot of, I'm, I'm in that group of people that have been waiting for a long time to see Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump just get it on because uh, they obviously don't like each other, and, and Donald Trump has made it clear that he doesn't respect Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis has made it clear he doesn't, he's not afraid of Donald Trump. Uh, so those two uh, heavyweights are going to go at it. It's going to be fun to watch. I've got my popcorn ready. Uh, I think it's going to get real close and personal. But your your point about the woke attack, the, you know, this has been part of Ron DeSantis' uh, whole campaign, his, his appeal about going after woke culture. Mm -hmm. uh, as an offshoot of that, he's gone after DEI. You know, I don't wake up every morning thinking that diversity, equity, and inclusion are the, you know, the, the, the three worst things in the world. Uh, but he obviously does. And and Texas now has followed Florida's lead. They have a bill that's come out of the Texas legislature as well to do away with DEI programs mm -hmm. in Texas universities. So it, it's a real thing. I think that he, he seized early on on this cultural war. It was a short walk from there to race issues. I think a lot of what he's said and done on race issues is very alarming. It tells us a lot about how he views these differences. Uh, he's a divisive character. He would be a divisive president. Uh, all that's true. But I, I got to say, that I think that the way politics works is if you leave an opening for your opponent, the opponent will often seize upon that. And there are many times where Republicans leave an opening, opening for Democrats. In this case, Democrats left an opening for Republicans because what we call woke culture, that really played out to have us during the pandemic when 
parents who were taking care of their kids, including parents of color, got a chance to see what the kids were learning in school. And this was something they were privy to before, and they did not like what they saw. Uh, so in many cases, so that's, that's been a part of this as well. I think, um, there's a lot of stuff that we call woke that is, um, I think good and positive. And there's some stuff that a lot of folks, including people of color, thinks, think just go way too far. So let me just, let me probe your point a little further here. Uh, I, 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 I'm starting to feel a fissure between your point of view and my point of view, which is not the first time in in 30 years of our, 30 years of our friendship. We've had any number of fissures. There may be another one oncoming right now. Um, maybe yeah. not. Let me see. So I, I hear your critique. There, there were a number of parents, in fact, who um, who uh, realized what their kids were up against uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Although there are a lot of parents who were grateful, uh, given that those kids were home and and um, and were on their nerves all day long, at least um, when they were spending time uh, with learning uh, from home. Uh, they were they were being occupied, and more importantly, they weren't losing uh, any more ground than they were already losing by not being in the classroom. But here's the point I'm pushing toward: um, what what that what that reality, however one des- describes or defines that reality, that parents had to deal with, uh, how their eyes were opened when their kids were being uh, uh, taught uh, via computer from their homes, from their bedrooms or kitchen tables, wherever they were. What what that opened the door to were uh, attacks on so-called critical race theory, which you and I both know uh, there is no critical race theory being taught in elementary, junior high or high schools right. in this country. We, we, we know that, right. that that's just a red herring. But the point is mm-hmm. it opened up that door for these attacks on critical race theory. And therefore, uh, the door got pushed even wider to your to your point about you know, the broader attack on woke culture. I hope you're not suggesting that whatever parents discover then makes it legitimate to be attacking critical race theory on the right. No, I've, I've said on your show and I've written before columns about the attack on critical race theory. And we really break that down. We really go and talk to people like, you know, my friend, Laura Gomez, who's a law professor at UCLA. Mm-hmm. She and I went to college together. She helped start the critical race theory uh, curriculum at UCLA law school. And when you really get into it, I've, I've spoke to our mutual friend, Randall Kennedy, uh, the law professor at Harvard, yep. uh, who taught who taught me while I was there, uh, and and so when you really get into it, you see that this is really much ado about nothing, and this is a a boogeyman that the right is using, and it's not being taught in elementary schools and secondary schools, and even if you break it down, it really comes down to sort of an acceptance of our history in an honest way, and not the way we like to prefer to we prefer to remember our history. So mm-hmm. I'm with you a thousand percent on that. You can call it a defense of, of critical race theory. You can just say it's an attack on those people that attack it unfairly. But either way, we're on the same page. What I'm talking about is when you're in a debate about, say, um, and we're coming up on, on Pride Month. Right. And this is a, a very interesting issue. My brother is gay. We've had conversations before. I think there's an element of the gay community that is for full empowerment uh, and, and rights for gay individuals but uh, have some qualms, particularly older gay people, some qualms about what's happening with regard to the movement toward an acceptance of trans individuals. And I think that, that whereas I pay attention to the debate over this issue, including watching some writers of the New York Times and others who've talked about it, it seems to me, Tavis, that the weak spots are, for instance, athletes. The whole debate about athletes, right, and whether trans people should compete or should they have their own separate you know, games, in fact. Mm-hmm. So that's a debate. That makes people a little uneasy. You get a debate going on that. Also, parents and whether parents should be able to sign off or have to sign off on what their kids are being taught. 
uh, particularly in elementary school. And you can have a debate about that. And then I heard a debate, a conversation on the radio just the other day about, um, you know, people who go through trans um, uh, operations and ultimately feel some sense of regret and then change back. And then a debate about whether or not we should have a, uh, an age requirement to make those kinds of decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Now, either we're going to, here's how we're going to go, brother. Either we're going to say there are certain things that are off limits that we should not talk about, or we're going to say that there are things we can talk about. If those things are open for discussion and we can talk about those things, then parents and others uh, have shown that they have some qualms of what, about what was being done and what's being taught, and, and that's a discussion. And on, with regard to African-Americans and Latinos, let's say that you're for Latinos and you're for immigrants' rights and you believe in immigration is a great thing for this country. That doesn't mean I have to get you to sign on to an open border. Mm-hmm. You see? There are folks on the far, far uh, left of the Latino community who think that, yes, you do have to sign on for that. You shouldn't have any kind of restrictions on the border or you should have an unconditional amnesty. And it's like, you know, I give you a little bit and you take a lot. And I think we need to have those conversations with regard to everything. I can support civil rights for African-Americans. Does that mean I have to support all of the proposals coming out for reparations? You know, that could pay up to a million dollars per African-American resident of California. Yes, it does. And yes. You, yes, it does. There, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you like that. The last one sort of hits you a little triggered that last one. But the other two where you're like, OK, I hear you. But now all of a sudden, no, I don't hear you. No, no, I, I, no, no, no. Later in this hour, later in this hour, we'll talk about reparations. Uh, it's, it's on my docket. Um, I think Gavin yeah. Newsom, uh, one thing that I think we do agree on, I think Gavin Newsom is moving kind of funny these days. I've said it already on this program yeah. a few times. You bet. So you and I you may bet. you and I may agree um, uh, on the reparations issue. Uh, with regard to how Gavin Newsom is 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 moving, we'll, we'll put a pin in that for the moment. But let, but let me come back to the larger point you were making about the issues that can be discussed. I, I don't think anybody in this country is afraid to have conversations about those issues. I want to make sure I didn't miss your point. You you gave me a list of issues that that are on the political docket this time around. What was your primary point? So I didn't miss it. Yeah. So our primary point is like is like this. Uh, and I'll go back to our our history together in the nineties when we were hosting a radio show together. Right. You. You and I would watch what was going on with Governor Pete Wilson. And I remember you and I being in complete agreement that Governor Wilson had, as, and I remember the conversation directly, you, you telling me this. You said to me, you know, Wilson has this ability to kind of sniff out these divisive racial issues. That's right. And whether it was Prop 187, then Prop 209, doing away with affirmative action, you know, and I remember in about 95 or so, you and I were having this conversation, and you said, what is it with this guy? He seizes on these issues. He smells them out, and he then he goes for it, right? Mm-hmm. That's Ron DeSantis. Okay. That's Ron DeSantis in 2023 with regard to the culture wars. Right. What I'm telling you is not that I agree with this or don't agree with that or that I'm here or there. I'm telling you that Ron DeSantis is most of all an opportunist. We can call him a racist. We can say he's transphobic. We can give him all these names. Right. But he's first and foremost an opportunist. He saw an opening that many Americans and many Floridians have qualms about what he calls woke culture, mm-hmm. right? and he went for it. I get it. I take your point now. Um, he's the the Pete Wilson of, of this era. Um, I, I take it. I guess the question is, and I'm, <laughs> I, I started chuckling when you mentioned when we mentioned the the trans issue. I was just telling my guys. I walked in and said, uh, "Tavis, you okay today? You look a little, look a little, you look a little, little, uh, little uh, with, uh, withered uh, and weathered." Uh, and I said, "I am." I, I was. I was. I shouldn't have been out to two o'clock this morning, but I was hanging with Dave Chappelle <laughs> and, and that'll get you in trouble uh, to, to two o'clock in the morning. And, and that's why I'm dragging a little bit today, but I'm, I'm going to get there over these next three hours. Uh, speaking of trans, uh, 
yesterday was Earthquake, the comedian, his 60th birthday. So there was an event last night, and I, I got caught up hanging out with, with, with Chappelle and Too Short and DL and Rock and everybody. It was, a, it was a great event celebrating Earthquake last night, but I stayed out way too late. I, I'll, I'll pay the price for that later today. I digress on that point. Um, but I, 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 I want to talk more about, uh, just for a few minutes here, um, what it means, to your point, that uh, Ron DeSantis has sniffed this out. No question about it. And I, I agree, he is all those things. It ain't either or, it's both and. He's racist, he's, 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 he's homophobic, transphobic, he's, he's, he's all those things. Uh, and, and I would add to that list anti-American, but that's another conversation for another time. So I, I take your point, he sniffed this out. What does that mean, though, in terms of his ability to vault past Donald Trump? Because it's, 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 it's hard to sort of out-Trump Donald Trump. And so much of what DeSantis is, is going to be doing, Trump has already done. And once this race begins, Trump will even do it better. So it's going to be a race to the yeah. bottom, no question about No question about it. It'll be a race to the bottom between DeSantis and Trump. But will this strategy, will sniffing this out allow DeSantis ultimately to, to, to vault himself past Donald Trump? I do not believe so. I think Donald Trump will wipe the floor with Ron DeSantis every chance he gets. Right uh, After the CNN town hall, uh, you saw what Trump did in that town hall, how he just sort of seized the room, right? Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I saw a post later on Twitter from a Republican, an anti-Trumper. And he said, uh, I think one of the people who started the, the Lincoln Group, mm. and he, he put out a tweet and said, can you imagine this guy versus Ron DeSantis? He will cut off Ron DeSantis' head and then dance around the stage with his corpse. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's an image for you, right? There it is. Let me... I. Th- I th- I can see that happening. Yeah. Um, let me uh, put a pin in that for the moment. Um, the one thing I, about Trump that I do love, um, I love these names that he gives, these nicknames he gives to all his opponents. Uh, L- Lil Marco from Marco Rubio, uh, Low Energy Jeb. Um, he has a name for everybody, uh, and I loved his name for Ron DeSantis. He calls him uh, DeSantimonious. Uh, Ron DeSantimonious. you got to love that part at least, right? We'll continue our conversation, uh, so many other issues to talk about with Ruben in this first hour on KBLA Talk 1580. We do not. Ruben Navarrete Jr. is our guest uh, in this first hour as we talk politics. We've been spending uh, the first uh, um, 30 minutes or so of this program this morning talking about the big announcement that is to come later today in case you have uh, uh, just tuned in. Ron DeSantis, or as Don, Donald Trump calls him, Ron DeSantimonious, uh, will be announcing uh, in uh, some hours from now, uh, to be exact, 3 o'clock on the West Coast, 6 o'clock on the East Coast, announcing uh, his intent to run for president of these United States uh, on the GOP ticket. He is making that announcement this evening in a conversation with Twitter CEO Elon Musk. Uh, consider yourself warned. DeSantimonious and Musk uh, will be together this evening. And if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. Uh, not to mention the agenda that Ron DeSantis is going to run on. We don't need any more evidence to... Uh, let us know who he is. And uh, as Maya Angelou once uh, famously said, when people show you who they are, uh, believe them. And I believe that Ron DeSantis is who he says he is. Uh, I digress on that for the moment. Uh, two other things right quick, Ruben, and we'll move on to some other issues. Um, this uh, Republican field is getting more and more crowded. So Donald Trump is in, of course. Nikki Haley is in. Uh, Tim Scott is in. Asa Hutchinson is in. Larry Elder is in. Uh, it's growing. Uh, DeSantis joins the ranks today, and there'll be others, uh, I suspect, uh, a couple of governors who are thinking about getting in as well, other governors. Um, so it shows that just as DeSantis isn't scared of Donald Trump, there are others who are about to make the leap who are clearly not afraid of Ron DeSantis. What that means is 
you are you're going to see a, a a growing Republican primary field. I I I think I think I believe that the more the merrier. I think I believe that the more the merrier. Um, but it's going to be a crowded field. How how do you read that fact? You know, I believe that uh, as well. The more the merrier with regard to Democrats and Republicans. In those years where we had a big group of people mm-hmm. on both sides, uh, I think it's great. I think, that's, I think one of the things you want in that crowded field is diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is still sad, I think a really sad statement, that in 2023 and the break of the 2024 election, the threshold of it, you will probably have about 10 people running for Republican, uh, running for the Republican nomination for president. And of the 10, only one woman, Nikki Haley. Mm-hmm. One woman out of 10. Yeah. It'll be mostly nine men. And you'll have one, I think in this case, you'll have Nikki Haley's a person of color. You'll have Tim Scott as a person of color. I think those people are important to have in the mix because, not because they're going to win or have a shot to win or they're really running for vice president or whatever, but because I don't want to tune into a debate of uh, 10 Republicans and all of them are white men. Yeah. And they're all talking about these issues like CRT with this blind spot. You know, so I give, I, I've watched Tim Scott for a long time. I give a lot, him a lot of credit. Uh, for piping up over things like police reform and other issues. He's not a carbon cutout of, you know, Clarence Thomas or other caricatures uh, of, uh, of black conservatives who go around life, to go through life just trying not to upset white folks. Yeah, I don't think that's who Tim Scott is. You, and how, so, uh, more the merrier. How, how, how do you think, a couple of questions on Tim Scott. Um, yeah. How, how do you think this black man, this black uh, Republican United States senator, how does he, to the extent he does, complicate the race for all the rest of them, the rest of the white folk, when they're on the stage with him? That's a very good question. See, he, he sees in his announcement on the fact that he complicates uh, politics for the Democrats. Mm-hmm. He says he challenges their narrative. The narrative of the average white liberal is that you and I would be outside of the studio, you know, selling orders on a street corner if they hadn't come by and rescued you and me. Mm-hmm. Out of the goodness of, your, of their heart, they gave us affirmative action. They, they washed our face, bought us a suit of JCPenney's, and sent us to a college. <laughs> so, you know, thank you, Mr. White Man, again. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Now, so that's the narrative that Tim Scott complicates. But your point is well taken. He also complicates the narrative for the Republicans, mm-hmm. which is that uh, – that somehow the way they define it, diversity is a bad thing. DEI is a bad thing. Diver- diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, I don't expect to see that argument come from Tim Scott. I don't think he wakes up every morning like Ron DeSantis saying, "How do I get rid of diversity today?" Mm-hmm. So I think I think diversity is a good thing. I'm I've been more in love with diversity in the last year than I've seen it under attack than I ever was before. Yeah, because uh, because now I, I I took it for granted. I just assumed that we knew. We need to have uh, more women in the mix, more people of color in the mix. It couldn't always be a bunch of white men who were born on third base, but I, I was wrong. Yeah, I, I, I don't think um, there's not there's not a there's not a a, 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 a fiber uh, in my being that suggests to me that uh, Tim Scott has any chance of winning this nomination. I don't see it uh, for right. that at, at the right. moment. At the moment. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, uh, one still has to believe that Donald Trump, based on all the polls, the surveys and the studies, uh, is still uh, the presumptive Republican nominee. One has to believe that at the moment. Having said that, I think Tim Scott complicates the race in this way. And I think I, I probably mentioned this the other day when he made his announcement. And that is that for a party that's going to get beat up uh, by Democrats uh, for being anti anti everything. Uh, certainly anti-people of color. 
what Tim Scott does give the good white folk in the GOP an opportunity to do is early in the primary process to vote for him, a legitimate, multiple-time, multiple duly elected African-American Republican member of the United States Senate. He's qualified to be in the race. So they have a chance now to vote for the black man to show that they aren't as bad as we uh, say they are or know them to be. And I would not be surprised. Now, again, he ain't going to be there in the end, I don't think. But I would not be surprised if early on Tim Scott starts to have a decent showing because he becomes at least an opportunity for the party in their early days to show that they're not as racist as we know they are. Does that make sense to you? It does. And also, you made a good point here. He's a U.S. senator. Yeah. Now, I think you could check the record on this, but I think he is the highest ranking, most credible, legitimate uh, African-American Republican to run for president. This is not Herman Cain who owned a pizza fact, you know, pizza shop. And, he, and he's not, and, and, not and, and he's not Ben Carson, yeah. He's not Ben Carson. This yeah. is not even, you know, uh I would say my friend and your former friend Larry Elder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh I haven't checked the, the I haven't checked today. I might be Larry's former friend by now too, I'm not sure. <laughs> but in any case in any case, this is somebody who didn't come from the outside. This is somebody who worked his way through. And an African American man who gets elected in South Carolina mm-hmm. uh into the Senate. One thing, let's keep one thing in mind about Tim Scott. He is always optimistic and positive. And I think one way in which white people do not understand black people, okay, is that, and you and I have spoken about this before, black people, like brown people, like Latinos, love America. We love America. We love America in spite of what America Yeah, in, in, yeah in, in, I'm glad you get your frame right. Yeah, we love it in spite of, not because of, in spite of, not well, yeah. because of. Yeah. And when, and we love America even when America doesn't love us back. Mm-hmm. That's one. Yep. Two, we are optimistic and positive by nature. You couldn't get through life as a black man or a brown man in this country or a black woman or a brown woman in this country with, if you were not positive and optimistic mm-hmm. that tomorrow's going to be better. Yep. Okay? Yep. You would go out of your mind. And the third thing is African-Americans and Latinos, too, never have to be dragged off to church. They go to church regularly. They go mm-hmm. to long masses and long services. And you are never going to find African-Americans and Latinos leading a campaign to separate church and state. Mm-hmm. If you ask black folks and brown folks, do you think we have too much God in our lives or not enough? Nobody says we got too much. Mm-hmm. So I think that Tim Scott represents all those things, and it's going to be, a, I think, a, a really nice welcome change. And I, I, Lord knows we didn't need any more white men on that stage for the Republican primary. Nope, fair enough. Uh, when we come forward, uh, we will uh, uh, step away from the GOP uh Uh, party antics um (laughs) which are going to get more interesting again this evening when ron DeSantis officially enters this race uh could not avoid discussing that topic in this hour but when we come forward uh we'll talk about some democrats namely gavin newsom it was gavin newsom's idea and he supported the the notion of this task force on reparations he's now been given a couple of opportunities um to comment uh on what the task force has recommended to the state legislature here in california and he has not, um, he's been, I'll put it this way, he's been very careful and very guarded in his commentary uh, about uh, the task force recommendations, even though early on he seemed to be in favor of it. Uh, and I'm getting concerned about uh, the governor starting to do perhaps a, a version of the Michael Jackson moonwalk. Uh, that's my take. We'll see what Ruben's take is when we come forward on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. You are indeed, uh, and Tavis Smiley is joined in this hour by uh, Ruben Navarrete Jr., um, 
national syndicated columnist and host of the podcast, Ruben in the Center, among other things on his docket every day. Uh, regular contributor to our program, uh, for which we are grateful. Um, Ruben, let me let me uh, move swiftly, watching my time here, to this other issue. We talked about Republicans for most of this hour. Let me talk about Democrats now. Um, we had an hour conversation yesterday with uh, brilliant economist uh, William uh, Darity Jr. Uh, at Duke University about a piece of legislation that was introduced just last week in Congress by one of the members of the squad, Cory Bush, um, uh, introduced uh, legislation last week that had a $14 trillion price tag on it as a minimum um, for what it would take to shrink uh, this stubborn and historic and, 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 and racial uh, gap, uh, economic earnings gap between black folk and white folk in this country. I spent an hour about that yesterday. If you missed it, brilliant conversation with with, uh, with Professor Darity yesterday. Check out the podcast of that conversation. I raised that only because we just discussed this yesterday. Here we are today with you on, and we're talking about uh, Gavin Newsom and the way that I think um, he's starting to move that's a little concerning to me. I saw a piece that you recently wrote about it. That's all I need to see, uh, all I need to say, rather. So tell me about, uh, tell me in the audience uh, about your, your piece and the, the thoughts you have about Gavin Newsom. Look, there's a lot going on here in this story, okay? The, the headline of my column for the Washington Post yesterday was, inching closer to 2024, Newsom backs away from reparation process he set in motion. That's what's going on now. Mm. Gavin Newsom is, is eyeing this presidential run. He wants to run for president so badly you can taste it. He knows politics. He's been doing it his whole life. He's been doing it as long as you and I have been doing media. He understands it. And he understands nothing's guaranteed. And so he wants to have all his ducks in a row and be ready to run if he's called to do it. Uh, and uh, if Joe, Joe Biden falters in any way. And the timing has been bad for Newsom because here he had signed into law uh, an assembly bill in uh, late in the fall of 2020, uh, about four months after, I think it was in September, about four months after George Floyd was killed, when uh, Californians, and particularly white Californians, were looking for some way to make amends and to address uh, historical grievances, and I would say uh, have a necessary conversation. And so the timing being what it was, in July, July 1st is when the California Task Reparations Task Force is supposed to come forward with its recommendations, but it's like a sieve. All these things start coming out, so stories have been leaking out about the actual numbers involved. So here, fast forward, Gavin Newsom finds himself, get this, being interviewed by Fox News Digital. And he's asked the question, what do you think about these reports coming out about the uh, demand for cash payments being anywhere from uh, $300,000, $360,000 per African-American resident to $1.2 million? And, And Gavin Newsom does what has been my experience white liberals typically do, which is when things get rough, they head for the hills. You know, there's a lot of things that I say and do that you, my friend, quibble with. One of the things I quibble with that you do is when you talk about KBLA being progressive talk radio, my point would be you need to be careful about uh, uh, somehow linking yourself to white progressives mm-hmm. who have a history dating back to the civil rights movement and the Kennedy brothers, who I love and adore, okay, of leaving African-Americans in the lurch because they were not as good an ally as you would like them to be. What, what Gavin Newsom has proven here by answering this question from Fox News Digital in, in a way in which he said, basically, this kind of social justice that we're talking about, it's more than just cash payments. He had a chance to endorse, embrace, speak kindly of these reparations and keep it as vague as he wanted to. He went in the opposite direction. He talked, in fact, get this. He said, get this. A lot of uh, the recommendations that are leaking out 
that the, the task force is going to be making? Well, we're doing that already. We're doing that in my administration in terms of dealing with homelessness and police reform. Mm-hmm. If you're African-American in California, that's the last thing you want to hear. Mm-hmm. You do not want to hear the governor telling you that the things that are being proposed, he's already doing because <laughs> you're not feeling it. You're not feeling it. You're not living it. You're not experiencing it. If, the, if, if this is somehow, if he's already doing it, why aren't things better? So you can't trust Gavin Newsom further than you can throw him. And I, I, I think there's a really interesting dynamic here because my liberal editors in, in Washington at the Post, most liberals in Cal, outside of California, they love Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know that from the polling in California where Gavin Newsom has a very low approval rating between you know, 45 and 55% in some polls. Unlike Ron DeSantis, who is well-loved by Floridians, that is not the case with Gavin Newsom. He's not well-liked by Californians. And here's why. I'll, leave, I'll end with this. Gavin Newsom has something that Ron DeSantis doesn't have. He has excellent political skills. He is such a great politician. Gavin Newsom is never underestimate him. He understands politics. And unfortunately, I think he chose this venue, Fox News Digital, to have a sister soldier moment. Yeah. I think Gavin Newsom knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. I think he went on this conservative medium to talk to white folks, to tell them, I am not with those proposals on reparations. You in Iowa, you in New Hampshire, you can vote for me. If you uh, did not get the Sister Soldier reference, um, then uh, Google it. Uh, just Google Sister Soldier, Bill Clinton, and Jesse Jackson. Sister Soldier, <laughs> Bill Clinton, and Jesse Jackson, and you'll get I don't have time to explain it right now, but uh, that uh, reference to a Sister Soldier moment is what Ruben is talking about. Uh, I could quibble with Ruben about uh, how well-liked Gavin Newsom is in this state. Um, he beat back and beat back handily a recall election against him. We could quibble about how well-liked he is, but I do not argue with Ruben on this. I do believe the governor very specifically um, chose talking to Fox News Digital. We've had him on this on this station before, not as often as we'd like. To, uh, like. He doesn't always say yes to our invitations, but he went on Fox News Digital to make that point. Uh, and you can read it for what it is uh, more when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Just two minutes left here with Ruben Navarrete Jr. in this hour. Uh, Ruben, again, we could quibble on how well-liked Gavin Newsom is, and clearly, uh, well, I don't think he's perfect. I like him more than you like him. Uh, I voted for him. I don't know that you did. But my my point is that, uh, and I think we agree on this, that on this particular issue, Gavin Newsom, in fact, does have to be held accountable. And that is my message to the progressive audience listening to this station. I can see already the way he's parsing his language and the things that he's saying. He's being very political about this. I'm not even sure that he thought his own task force would end up making the kind of recommendations uh, that we expect him to make uh, to the state legislature. And so I'm watching him and I'm getting concerned. I'm just out front saying that earnestly and honestly. I believe, though, that we agree that on this issue, he's got to be held accountable. Yes, you and I should be coming back to this issue uh, on appearances like this every three months, every six months. You know, let's check in in nine months. You're going to see more and more of this. This is not someone who does things by accident. Yeah. You will see this message become clearer. What Gavin Newsom, I think, expected his task force to come forward with were recommendations to invest in the black community, in, in black schools and neighborhoods and in economic development. The idea somehow that there would be money proposed, actual checks that go into people's hands. That was not a debate he was prepared for. And I'll tell you this, when he's campaigning in New Hampshire or Iowa, uh, that is not the conversation he wants to have. He does not believe he can sell white folks on that. He does not want to, he considers reparations his baby, but he's looking at it at right now he sees that as a very ugly baby. 
Now, yep. that doesn't mean that I see it that way or you see it that way. I'm talking about how Gavin Newsom sees it. And lastly, Gavin Newsom may, wants to run against Ron DeSantis, all Tavis, so badly he can taste it. He's, he's running against Florida at every chance. Yeah. Uh, Google Florida and Gavin Newsom. He wants to run against Ron DeSantis, well, and, and he doesn't think this issue will help him. Just to be clear, um, I'm out of time. Just to be clear, he's already said he's not running this time around in deference to Joe Biden. Right. No question about that. But Ruben's, right. point, Ruben's right. point is anything could happen to Joe Biden, uh, God forbid. Right. Uh, and even if he does, in four years, if Biden is successful, he definitely ain't running four years from now because he can't. He'll be termed out. So Ruben's point is that, that Gavin Newsom has taken the long view. And at some point, uh, four years from now, if not sooner, he is, in fact, going to run for president. And this is a hard issue to explain somewhere down the road. I would only close with this very quickly. This is the same Gavin Newsom, though, uh, Ruben, to his credit, who pushed an agenda in San Francisco uh, regarding gay brothers and sisters that people didn't like. Uh, and he survived that. Um, so who knows where the country will be four years from now if it takes that long on this issue of um, whether or not African-Americans deserve reparations for all the harm that we have experienced. We'll leave it there for now. Continue down the road. Ruben, good to have you on. I'll talk to you soon. Brother, take care. Always good. Hour two of Tavis Money after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580.